take your Bibles out this morning and turn to Titus chapter 2, if you would please. We'll be looking at the subject matter this morning, the amazing grace of God. The amazing grace of God. Titus chapter 2, as you find your place in your copy of God's Word, I do want to mention several folks. First of all, it's, uh, it's good to see Patrick Waddell with us this morning. And uh, Patrick, uh, seeing you sitting there, um, I want to assure you, you're not alone. Please call on us. And uh, such a wonderful testimony. Yesterday and Friday night, all the folks that showed up for visitation, uh, for Sherry's service and the service yesterday, just a great testimony. So we want to continue to pray for Patrick and Madison and Mackenzie. And also right next to him, the Lafferty family. We want to pray for them. Uh, and Miriam's mother, Elka, as Peter went home to be with the Lord on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, his service will be this coming Wednesday at 11 a.m. in the chapel down at Taylor Glen. Uh, you may remember when I introduced uh, Peter to the congregation a number of months back when they joined after they'd moved into Taylor Glen. He's running close to 30 marathons and triathlons and Peter carried the Olympic torch in the Salt Lake City uh, Olympics. Uh, just such an active lifestyle. But uh, he did pass away and... Uh, now, it wasn't all that exercise that was bad for him, was it? <laughs> no, just uh, in all seriousness, what a wonderful man. Uh, he believed in looking after the temple of the Holy Spirit and taking care of himself. And more importantly, uh, Peter ran the race of faith. Uh, he lived for Christ. And so we'll celebrate his eternal life on Wednesday. So you pray for this family as well. Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and holy lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Father, we thank you for your wonderful, amazing grace. We see that expressed in this text when you sent your son the first time. And Lord, today we are waiting on that second advent. Lord, in the meantime, may we live lives of grace. May we show the world the change that Christ makes in us. May we be salt and light. Lord, I pray that during this time of the year that we would be mindful to share that story of your amazing grace. People need to hear. They need to know. Thank you for invading our darkness with your glorious light. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, I want you to listen to the words of this well-known hymn. In fact, without a doubt, it is the best-known hymn over all the world. The hymn Amazing Grace. Now, as I read these words... I want you to just stop and think about these words, the content of these verses. Because I know sometimes as we're singing songs, maybe we don't stop and actually think about the words. But listen to this hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me, His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail, this mortal life shall cease. I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. When we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Titus 2.11 says, The grace of God has appeared. I want you to think with me this morning about that phrase, The grace of God has appeared. Folks, without a doubt, the sweetest word in the Bible has to be the word grace. Peter calls God the God of all grace in 1 Peter 5.10. In Acts 20.24, the Bible refers to the gospel as the gospel of the grace of God. Now this morning, I want us to think about the ramifications of God's grace. We're going to see in our text this morning... The full range of God's grace. God's grace is involved in all three stages of our salvation. Past, present, and future. Our salvation, our sanctification, and our glorification. And we're going to see how it's God's grace that carries us all the way through that until one day we're at home and we see by sight. First of all, I want you to notice with me this morning the saving power of God's grace. Paul writes there in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Paul states here that God's grace has invaded our darkness. God's grace has penetrated our darkness. Folks, His grace is based solely on His love and it's based on your and my inability on our own to ever reach up to God's standards. If it were not for God's grace, there would be no hope for any of us. 
And so the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. How did it appear? It appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. John writes in John 1.14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now folks, that's what we begin to celebrate. This Christmas season that's upon us, we celebrate the incarnation and the grace of God in doing this. The grace of God in sending His Son. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand something. It is not as though in the Bible we never saw any previous glimpses of the grace of God in the Old Testament. We do. For example, I want you to think about the children of Israel in bondage in Egypt. And as they're in bondage there in Egypt and Pharaoh and all the taskmasters are making their lives miserable, the Bible says that the children of Israel cried out to God and God heard all of their groanings. Now folks, that is a statement of grace. Because God began to intervene in their lives and he sent them a deliverer, Moses. And through Moses and Aaron, God in his grace led them out of bondage and led them through the wilderness and ultimately into their own land. That's certainly a picture of grace. And many other such pictures of grace in the Old Testament. But I want you to realize something. The Bible is saying the climax of all of the appearances of God's grace happened when God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days He's spoken to us in His Son. His Son, the greatest expression of grace. Now the word appear in verse 11 when He says, The grace of God has appeared refers to a sudden arrival. It would be like getting up before daylight and you're watching for the sunrise. You may have done that on vacation while you're at the beach. You say, no way, I, we sleep in on vacation. But let's say you did get up early because you wanted to see the sunrise come over the ocean waters. And it was dark and all of a sudden the sun suddenly began uh, rising and you were watching that. Well, he says that's how the grace of God has appeared. It is like... Like a sudden arising, an epiphany. In fact, this is the word from which we get our word epiphany. In the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we have a sudden epiphany of the grace of God at its highest. Now, what does God's grace bring us? Well, verse 11 says God's grace brings salvation. And he says here, it brings salvation to all men. Now, oftentimes when all men is used in the New Testament, it is used in the sense of Jew and Gentile. Paul has just been talking in this letter 
uh, about the different classes of men and those who are free men and those who are under bondage. Those who are Jews and those who are Gentiles. And, and so he's saying here, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. In other words, crossing all ethnic lines and social lines. God's grace has appeared to Jew and Gentile alike, to rich and poor, to free and those who are slaves. He's not saying that all men are saved. We're not universalist. We're not universalist because Jesus was not a universalist. Jesus did not say all men would be saved. In fact, he said just the opposite. He said, in fact, that most men would not be saved. He said the road that leads to life is narrow and there's few who travel it. And the road that leads to destruction is broad. And there are many, unfortunately, who are on that road. So Jesus didn't teach that all men would be saved. And that's not what Paul is saying here. He's simply saying that the gospel message goes to all classes and ethnicities of people. And boy, that was a hard pill for the Jews to swallow, wasn't it? They couldn't fathom that God would show His grace to Gentiles. Who's a Gentile? A Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. And the Jews believed for years that Gentiles were just dogs. We were the chaff that God was going to blow away in the judgment. God was not going to show His grace to Gentiles. And yet that's exactly what He's done in the gospel. Aren't you glad of that? Somebody answer that phone and tell them about the grace of God. <laughs> It was even a hard pill for the early church to swallow. Remember when God gave that vision to Simon Peter to go to the home of Cornelius and share the gospel? Cornelius was a Gentile. And when Peter got to the home of Cornelius, he didn't exactly say what you would expect somebody to say. He comes to Cornelius' home and says, Well, you know, I'm not really supposed to be here, a Jew coming under a Gentile's roof, because you're unclean. That's not exactly the welcome you expect to give to somebody, is it? But he said, God sent me here, and he shared the gospel with Cornelius, and all of Cornelius' household came to faith in Jesus. And when Simon Peter went back to the church and reported to the church at Jerusalem, who was still at that time prim primarily made up of Jews, they had trouble. They chastened Peter for going to the house of a Gentile, and Peter had to communicate to them that vision that God gave him and how when he got there and shared the gospel the same Holy Spirit fell on them as fell on the Jews on the day of Pentecost and they concluded by that they said well evidently God is sharing his grace now with the Gentiles and they glorified God in that but again it was a tough lesson but he writes here, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. Folks, you and I cannot achieve salvation on our own. It is a gift that is received. It is a gift that has appeared. You know, so many people think in terms of salvation as subtraction. 
You know, I've got this list of a dirty dozen in my life and I need to subtract this from my life and this from my life and that from my life and I subtract all of these things from my life that I know that God is not pleased with and maybe then God will receive me. Or we think in terms of salvation being addition. I'll add this to my life or this to my life and this to my life and then God will love me. And so the world thinks in terms of salvation being either subtraction or addition. I mean, that seems logical to the human mind when it comes to salvation. But the scripture says the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. It's not a matter of subtraction and addition. It is a matter of reception. It is a gift. Jesus has secured it and all you and I can do is receive it. God's grace redeems us from the penalty of sin. The moment we've trusted Christ, we're saved. When the Holy Spirit was at work in our heart, convicting us of our sin and drawing us to faith in Jesus Christ, God's always the initiator in salvation. And and when He was drawing us to faith in Jesus Christ and you repented and believed, you were born again, you were saved, you experienced, you received the grace of God. I think of these rich biblical words. Words like redeemed, he's redeemed us, that slave market analogy. We were on the slave blocks being sold into sin and and Jesus came along and he redeemed us. But not to put us in bondage again to something else, but he redeemed us that we might be free. Not only did he redeem us, he justified us. That's courtroom uh, uh, language. We were guilty. We had a guilty verdict over us and he justified us. He proclaimed us not guilty in Christ. He reconciled us. We were enemies of God. We'd sinned against God. And through Christ, God, the offended party, reconciled us to himself that instead of being enemies, now we can be friends with God. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. How does it happen? It happens through Jesus Christ. He's the greatest and most complete expression ever of the grace of God. For God so loved the world that he gave. Folks, the purpose of the incarnation was for substitution. Christ died for our sins once for all. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Without the incarnation there would be no substitution. And without substitution I would still be guilty and you would still be guilty. We would be in our sins. You see, the bad news is you're a sinner. The worst news is you can't save yourself. The good news is you don't have to. The best news of all is Jesus Christ has secured it for you. And you and I simply receive him. So contrary to the American way of thinking. How do we think? We think you get what you pay for. God helps those who help themselves. There's no such thing as a free lunch. All of that's the way that we think. 
But folks, God has given us His mercy and His grace instead of justice. Justice would be what if God gave you and me what we deserve. We deserve hell. But He's given us mercy. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. And grace is also God giving us what we do not deserve. Salvation is not spelled D-O. Some people think it's what they do. It's likewise not spelled D-O-N apostrophe T. Some think it's not, it's what they do not do. It is spelled D-O-N-E. It is done. Christ has done it all for us. Adrian Rogers used to say what is so wrong with many people is that they've been starched and ironed, but they've never been washed. Starched and ironed. They're religious. They think they have good works. They've just never been born again. They've never been washed. They've never been washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. And some try to mingle the two ideas of works and grace. I'll do my best, and Christ will do His best, and those two will be brought together, and my salvation will be accomplished. I mean, again, to the mind, the human mind, that seems logical, right? But folks, that too is wrong. Because as the Bible points out, you mingle works with grace, and what is destroyed? Grace is destroyed. Paul says in Romans eleven six, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So many are like the young man running to catch the boat, running to catch the ferry. He ran down the dock wide open because the ferry boat he thought was pulling out and he was about to miss it. So he got to the end of the dock and he jumped with all of his might and he soared over the water and he landed on the deck of the ferry and he kind of rolled and he stood up and he gave that touchdown. He was like, yes, I did it. And the captain looked over at him said son what are you doing he said I didn't want to miss the ferry he said well son the ferry is not leaving the ferry is coming in (laughs) so many are trying to do in vain what God has already done in Christ the grace of God has appeared what do you and I have to do we have to repent and believe John 1, Jesus said, He came to His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, even to those who believe on His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Have you experienced the saving grace of God? The saving grace of God over in Ephesians chapter 2. If you want to turn there with me for a moment. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says there in verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works. So that no man may boast. By grace you've been 
save through faith. This not of yourselves. What is not of yourselves? None of it is of yourselves. None of it. The whole plan of salvation, the whole working out of salvation, grace, faith, everything from beginning to end, it is all of God. God is the one who redeems us. Have you experienced that redemption of God through Jesus Christ our Lord? Have you been born again? What a shame to go through another Christmas season celebrating the incarnation of Jesus Christ if you don't know Him. If you've never been born again. That's something that happens from above. Of the spirit where God changes a man or a woman from the inside out. He changes your life and he makes you a new creation in Jesus Christ. Have you had that experience? Have you been changed? Have you been born again? The saving grace of God. Not only the saving grace of God or the saving power of it. I want you to see secondly the sanctifying power of God's grace. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 in our text back in Titus chapter 2. He says training us to renounce all ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age. And so not only has the grace of God appeared bringing salvation but the grace of God has also appeared bringing sanctification. It teaches us, it trains us. And so what verse 12 is telling us, the experience of God's grace is not a one-time experience at salvation, but it is an experience that goes on and on and on in our lives. The sanctifying grace of God. It's like marriage. In marriage at an altar one day, you say, I do. The marriage begins, but the rest of your life is, is, is experiencing uh, the, the, the marital commitment of two lives being brought together and growing together in the grace and the mercy and the love of the Lord Jesus. Marriage is a lifelong commitment, likewise with salvation. It begins when we're saved, but folks, salvation is the beginning of the journey. The beginning. The grace of God continues in a Christian's life. Helping us to be conformed to the image of Christ. The Bible refers to that as sanctification. Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, This is the will of God, even your sanctification. And so verse 12 points out that the sanctifying power of grace has a teaching aspect to it. Now it teaches us a bit differently from what we learned before salvation. Before salvation you might say that we were all in law school. We were in law school. What did the law do? The law pointed out our sin. I read about a couple traveling in the night through the countryside. You could hear the bugs hitting the windshield. Pretty soon they went through a town with bright lights. And their three-year-old said, look, the lights have made the windshield dirty. When they left town and it was dark again, the three-year-old again said, look, daddy, the dirt, or the dark rather, has made the windshield clean. Well, of course, the light didn't make the windshield dirty and the dark didn't make it clean. The light only pointed out the dirt. The light only revealed it. 
and the darkness covered it up. The darkness hid it. That's why a lot of people don't open God's Word. They see the light and it points out their dirt. And they don't like that. And so they close the book. They close God's Word. And they don't read it. They would rather remain in the darkness. Jesus said in John 3.20 Those who are wicked don't come to the light lest their deeds would be exposed. That's what the role of the law is. The law points out our dirt and our guilt and our need of a Savior. Folks, we can be grateful for the law doing that. That's a good thing. But now that we're saved, we're not enrolled in law school anymore. We're in the school of grace. And again, grace teaches us some things. He says here, God's grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly passions. Folks, those who say, those who have the attitude, now that I'm saved by grace... I can just go out and do anything I want to do. Because, hey, I'm forgiven. Those who have that attitude do not understand what saving grace was about to begin with. Those who've truly experienced the saving grace of God ought to be like Mary. When Mary broke that flask of that precious ointment and poured it over the feet of Jesus, it was an extravagant gift of gratitude because of the grace that Jesus had shown to her. That's how we ought to live. If we've experienced the saving grace, the sanctifying grace teaches us that we can no longer be satisfied to live in sin. We've got to deny ungodliness and unrighteousness. And we've got to live lives that honor the Lord. If we're satisfied to walk in the darkness, it is a sure sign that we've never experienced God's saving grace to begin with. Then on a positive note, God's grace teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. The word self-controlled here, as a believer, we are now indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. The unbeliever doesn't have the Spirit, and so he is, he is lacking self-control. But you and I, as believers who are sealed by the Holy Spirit and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we have a power in us now that's greater than our fleshly desires. And through the Spirit of the living God, we can put to death those sins of the flesh we can live lives that are self-controlled we can do now what we could not do in the flesh and it's the grace of God that teaches us that folks that's the sanctifying grace of God that teaches us that and then he says upright and righteous that refers to how we conduct ourselves in the world or how we live out the principles uh, of scripture now we can live right it's the principle of what would Jesus do Jesus would live right we're to follow in his footsteps we're to live right and we're to do right the whole book of James talks about that that we're not to be simply hearers of the word but we're to be doers of the word Verse 12 also says that we're to live godly lives, which refers to that vertical relationship. We're to live in fellowship with God, and our lives are to bear outwardly of that. We're to bear witness of that outwardly. We're to live godly lives. 
as Christians. Do you realize initially the word Christian was a word of mockery, a word of derision? There goes those Christians, little Christ. They live like that one whom they follow who was crucified and they say has risen again. They're Christians, they're little Christ. But folks, what a wonderful testimony that somebody would call us that. We're to live godly lives in Christ as Christians. In other words, what I'm saying is in all ways our lives are to reflect God's grace. We're to live sanctified lives. Peter says we're to be holy even as the Lord our God is holy. He goes on to say, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. That's the sanctification sanctifying power of God's grace. Now folks, you did not accomplish, you had nothing to do with the saving power of God's grace. Again, that's a gift you receive. But you and I do have something to do with the sanctifying power of God's grace. We're to yield our lives. We're to draw near to God. We're to submit to Him. If we're in Christ, we're to seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The sanctifying power of God's grace. As a Christian, are you being sanctified? Are you becoming more and more like Jesus? More and more like Jesus. God did not save you to leave you as you were. He saved you so that you might be more like Jesus and you might reflect Jesus to a lost and a dying world. And then thirdly here, I want you to see the glorifying power of God's grace. He says in verse 13, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's grace impacts us in this world, but God's grace also looks beyond this world. There is a day of glory coming for all of the saints of God, as Paul writes in Romans 8.30, and whom he pre destined these he also called and whom he called these he also justified and whom he justified these he also glorified God finishes what he starts folks we are to be a people who are waiting we are to be waiting for our blessed hope and our blessed hope is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ are you looking forward to the second coming of the Lord? If you're dreading the second coming of the Lord, should that not say something to you that something is not right in your Christian life? Everybody should be as a Christian. Everybody's waiting. They can't wait for the Lord to come back. I guess at least those, except for those who are engaged and about to be married, maybe they'd say, hold off a little while longer, Lord. But all Christians ought to be waiting for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Folks, our blessed hope, what we're looking forward to, is not Black Friday or Cyber Monday. Our blessed hope is we're looking for the return of Jesus Christ. Did you realize that in the Bible for every prophecy about the first advent of Jesus Christ, there are eight prophecies for the second advent? Dr. A.J. Gordon tells the story of two sisters who were very, very close. One was saved and the other was not. The one saved was always trying to lead her sister to the Lord and she talked her into going to a revival service one night where Dr. Gordon was preaching on the second coming of Christ. He was preaching on Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 and he was talking about two women grinding at the stone. One is taken, the other left. Two people are in a bed one's taken the other left well those sisters shared a bedroom and in the middle of the night the saved sister got up to go into the den and pray praying for her lost sister because that message earlier on had made her realize if Jesus came back her sister would be left behind she went in the den praying for her sister's salvation the sister, the lost sister, woke up, looked over at the bed where her sister slept, and it was empty. Now, she knew that her sister had probably just gotten up to go get a drink of water or go to the bathroom. But instantly, when she saw that empty bed, she couldn't help but think of the words Dr. Gordon had said earlier that evening, where two would be in a bed, one would be taken, the other would be left. She got up out of bed, she went into the den where her sister was, and her sister led her to faith in Christ. The blessed hope of the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Are you looking for that? Is that something you're looking forward to? Folks, the condition the world's getting in today, aren't you looking more and more for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ? Like they said at the end of the book of Revelation, Maranatha, even so Come, Lord Jesus. And so we see right here in this text, from beginning to end, God's work in us is a work of grace. In the past, in our salvation. In the present, in our sanctification. And in the future, in our glorification. It is God's grace that is work, at work in us through all the stages of our walk with him amen the wonderful amazing grace of God I want to read the words to that hymn again amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures." Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. When we've been there, 
10,000 years. Bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Folks, because of the grace of God this morning, can you imagine what Peter Morgendorf has already seen? Can you imagine what Sherry Waddell has already seen? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It'll be as glorious then as the first day you get there. God's amazing grace. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Have you received the gift of God's grace? Have you been born again? Folks, I've been asking you lately a lot. I'm serious about this. Nothing more important. I'm not asking you if you've simply walked an aisle and filled out a commitment card and joined a church and been baptized. Have you been regenerated? Have you been born again? Born from above. Conversion. Have you been converted? Jesus said to Nicodemus, a religious man, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. Folks, those are not my words. Those are Jesus' words. I think in some ways the day must be getting close. Have you been born again? If not, say, God, convert my soul, change me. Lord, the Bible talks about people being saved in the New Testament and they were changed. They were new creations in Christ. And Lord, I don't recall that I've ever been changed. In fact, I live pretty much today the way I've always lived. God, I need to be saved. I need to be converted. Would you extend the saving power of your grace to me? Maybe you know you are born again. Is the sanctifying power of God's grace at work in you? Are you becoming more like Christ? Are you more like Him today than you were five years ago? Do you love Him more? Is His Word more precious to you? Is fellowship with other believers more precious to you now than ever before? That's the sanctifying power of God's grace. Yield your life to God's continuing work in that aspect. Seek Him. Draw near to Him. Are you dreading the consummation of your salvation or are you looking forward to it? If you're dreading it, 
Does that say there's something in your life you need to deal with? I think it does. God, thank you for your wonderful, amazing grace that has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, to Jew, to Gentile, to black, to white, to red, to yellow, to rich, to poor, to male and female, your grace has appeared bringing salvation to all. May we be a living testimony of that amazing grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.